was such rich worship. I don't want to talk. <laughs> oh. As I was praying about tonight, the Lord had been whispering bits and pieces for the last several weeks. And then this morning, he whispered to go to one of my favorite places, and it's the um, Benedictine Center at Beach Grove. And many of you go there often. And when you come down 13th Street, if you go straight in there, there's the parking lot, and there's the classes, and there's a small prayer garden there. But if you go down to the second entrance, pull around, park, and walk through the gate, and keep walking, you come to a different prayer place. Gosh, I've been going there probably for about 30 years. It's become my favorite place to go before I head overseas, my favorite place to go before just about anything and everything. And uh, it's my favorite place to go when I come back from anything and everything. Because there's a rich presence of him there. And in this circle are 14 images of Christ that are made with nails and wire. It's abstract, but it is dripping, absolutely dripping with power. And I was walking around it this morning, and, and he said, I want you to talk about the beauty of my weakness tonight. You walk around, and, and in the first one, here he is bound. And all it says is by his power that he had was depending totally on the Father's power at that moment. He gave up all of his when he left heaven. The next one just says, without hesitation. And we see him on his knees, praying in Gethsemane. We, we see him beaten. We see him carrying the cross. We see him on his face as his arms would have been latched to the cross beam, we see one where he is under the weight of the cross. That cross beam just has crushed him into the ground. The next station is instead of me. He's innocent because he loves. He did it for sinners. And the last one is until he rises. And I thought of all the beauty of his weakness. And that to him, weakness is so stunningly godlike. It is so godlike that nothing moves his heart more than when we embrace our weakness. probably the one thing most humans avoid. <laughs> but how he embraced the weakness of being a babe. He embraced the weakness of saying, 
I'm going to live my life so that I just say what my father tells me to say. I give up even my own right to design a sermon or set the schedule for the day. I, I'm just going to say what he tells me to say and do what he tells me to do. And I'm going to live in perpetual weakness. Even as his son acknowledging that my very best is not the highest, but my father is. So I, as the son, surrender my best to follow the father and to hear his voice and to hear his plans. And weakness just becomes him. And even when he's attacked by scribes or Pharisees, sometimes he responds, sometimes he's silent. He's just walking in this weakness and this utter dependence, and it is stunningly beautiful. And he refuses any accolades. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm here to show you about the Father. And in all of his freely chosen, liberated weakness, he refuses to defend himself to Pilate and Herod. He allows himself to be beaten and tortured and mocked. He allows himself to be stripped naked. He allows himself to receive nails penetrating him. And he has no supernatural anointing against pain. He chose to be weak in a human body, and every nerve ending and every cell of his body was racked within the very limits of what a human being could stand. It was the beauty of his weakness that even when they're spitting on him, and even when the people he's healed and blessed are crying, crucify him, he just says, Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. And his weakness is just beautiful. He doesn't defend. He doesn't look strong. He, he just doesn't look like any of those things. He's beautiful. He's beautiful. And he's beautiful in weakness and beautiful in a sense of dignity. For he always kept his dignity. To the very last, a father forgive, to I commit my spirit. It is finished. Everything was, he heard the father say it, and he said it. He heard the father say, it's finished, son. He goes, it's finished. And in the beauty of weakness, this is the son of the majestic glory, and he couldn't even get himself off the cross. They had to pull out the nails, and it was bloody and ugly, but beautiful. It was so beautiful. He just surrendered and collapsed in their arms and collapsed dead on the ground. And it was such beautiful weakness to just let them take care of him. And he just received their balms and their linen wraps and their tears. And, and it was just beautiful weakness to receive totally receive and to totally be in need and be God at the same time. 
Paul sums it up perhaps this way in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 4. He says, he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. And Paul now is talking about himself. He says, we, we're weak in him too. We're, we're weak. But we live with him by his power and the beauty of that power. I want to read something to you, if I may. And it's just one, just listen. I want to read an entire chapter to you, okay? Is that all right? I know that's not typically kosher. I'm reading a whole chapter. Listen to Hebrews 11 and see if you hear one line that seems incongruent, out of place. All right? Now, faith, it's the assurance of things that we hope for. It's the convictions of things that we have not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. It's by faith that we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what was seen was not made out of things that were visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And because of his faith, though he died, Abel still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he shouldn't see death, and he was not found because God took him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world, and yet he became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place and to receive an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise. It was a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city that had foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power. Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, 
but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. For people who speak this make it clear that they were seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out of, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God, he's not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them that city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the very act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. He considered that God was able even to raise his son from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the great exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and different and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy fleeing pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days, and by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the age of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, becoming mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. 
They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, those of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth and all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. So let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings to us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. What phrase doesn't belong? Did you catch it? By faith they did this, and by faith they did that, and by faith they did that. And they were made strong out of weakness. It's the pivotal phrase of the entire history from Adam and Eve to the time of Christ. They were made strong by weakness. Now, what I'm about to share, initially, you're going to think, Susan, that really doesn't make sense. But it does. Let me read it to you. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho, and he was just passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come on down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received Jesus joyfully. And when the people saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be a guest of a man who's a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation's come to your house. You're a son of Abraham. And the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. ran ahead, climbed the tree because some say, see him. The Greek is he was seeking him. The Greek word was he climbed up that tree because he was seeking a deep, intimate knowing of him. He wasn't curious. And he embraced his weakness of people not liking him and 
being small in stature, and so he did what he had to do. And, and actually, when it says he was small in stature, the Greek word has three different meanings. It means you can be small in size, small in maturity, or small in being fit for God's assignment for you. And hurry. He hurried. He wasn't distracted. He didn't think. He hurried. He could have gotten distracted and felt embarrassed and ashamed in front of the crowd. And, and I love it because it says he received him wholeheartedly with no walls. The understanding is he swung wide the gate of himself to fully receive him joyfully. And it's the same word joyfully of when the wise men saw the star over Bethlehem and they were exceedingly joyful. And it's the same word for joy of the bridegroom. And so we have Jesus in this beautiful weakness pouring out his life. We have all these heroes of faith, but the pivotal phrase is they were weak and they knew it. Weak isn't sinful. Weak is godly humility. This says, can I do it on my own? Sure, I can. But I choose not to. I heard a song on the radio this week, and it says, uh, I don't want to miss a thing, so I'm climbing up the sycamore tree. I thought, what a beautiful way to look at Zacchaeus. Whether it was Jesus, whether it was from Abel all the way up in the Old Testament, or whether it was Zacchaeus, to them, weakness was a beautiful thing. And I guess the question is, is it beautiful to you? What's your weakness? What's your weakness? What's your weakness that you don't see as being so beautiful? Where's the place you still want to think it on your own, do it on your own, depend on your own? A little control, a little this, a little that. It's, it's not sin, you know? Maybe your mind spins and you get easily distracted. That can be a beautiful weakness. It, you see, you can fill in the blank. What's the weakness you have that you don't think is so beautiful? Maybe you like knowing and you like to depend upon the way you've always done it. Maybe what's your weakness that Jesus sees as beautiful, but you want to hang on to it? Is it coping? Is it 
this, is it that? You see, it's different. What's the weakness that you think is not so great about you? Or the weakness that you don't want to let go of? Because you need to feel this or this or this. And he's saying, oh man, don't you understand? That's the place where my DNA will shine the brightest is in beautiful weakness. What's your weakness, dear ones, that you don't see as beautiful? (laughs) Some of you know that this is one of my favorite passages, 2 Corinthians 12. And Jesus said to me, Paul is talking, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul responds, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And most of you have heard me say in the Greek, the picture is that in the very moment I say, I am weak, I have boundaries, I choose your way, not my way, the Father rises from his throne, runs to my side, and pitches a tent. The word is actually tabernacle. He builds his tabernacle over me, and his glory comes upon me. And that's the only time where it's a direct, do this and the glory comes. But it also has the hidden moment that in the very moment, the hidden meaning that in the very moment I go back to doing it myself, Father picks up his tabernacle, puts it under his arm, and just walks behind me and waits for me to celebrate weakness. Because I'm never more like the Savior himself than when I celebrate my weakness. And it causes me to lean into him more than ever before. (laughs) If you will excuse the slang, who'd have thought that weakness is the key Who'd have thought weakness is the key to power eternally and to loving intimacy? Who'd have thought weakness is the key to him setting joy free in me? Who'd have thought? Weakness is the key to him being one with me. And the fullness of the Godhead deity. Not just dwelling in you in a hidden place, but rising up and saturating even your weaknesses and turning them into a place 
of exceptional power. Who'd have thought? Hmm? Who'd have thought? Weakness is the key. The thing we run from is the very thing that would set us free. Celebrating weakness. There are three times when it says, you know, if you're like this, the kingdom of God is yours. One, if you're childlike, only the childlike shall enter the kingdom. Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Poor in spirit means you have zero resources to meet any of your needs in any realm. It doesn't mean you're just hungry for Jesus. It's talking about a real depth that you know you need him for everything. He says, oh, to that one I'll give the kingdom. And the third is blessed are the persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A child, poor in spirit, persecuted, they know their weaknesses. And they know they're beautiful. Absolutely, stunningly, brilliant, beautiful. Because it is then the Father can tabernacle over me while his son intercedes for me, while his spirit releases the very glory that in John 17, Jesus said he put in me. Beautiful, beautiful weaknesses. 